Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Walmart. Today's Tuesday, January 5th. The price of Bitcoin is up, Macy's is shutting down 45 stores, and we're focused on the presidential election circus. Tomorrow, both houses of Congress will be asked to certify the presidential electors from all 50 states, thus formally ensuring that Joe Biden will become the country's 46th president on Inauguration Day. But like so many things in the Trump era, this isn't going to be a typical process in which envelopes are opened, almost everybody says I, and then they all go home. Instead, at least 11 Republican senators and upwards of 140 GOP House members plan to support objections to elector certifications from at least four states, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Additional challenges related to other states are also possible, and President Trump is urging on this process, going so far as to tweet today that, quote, the vice president has the power to reject fraudulently chosen electors, end quote. Now, to be clear, Vice President Pence does not have that authority, even though he has this largely ceremonial role of overseeing the process. The bottom line is that Joe Biden's victory will be certified, whether you think it should be or not. The numbers are the numbers. No Democrat has expressed any interest in straying, and plenty of Republicans believe that the American people spoke clearly and legally on November 3rd. So in 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, who's the lead Democrat on the Rules Committee and who also will be leading the Democratic response tomorrow to objections when debated on the Senate floor. But first, this. We're joined now by Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. So, Senator, you said in an interview on TV last night at the end of it that you were excited about the uh, proceedings tomorrow. Why? I'm excited because I know that we will win this big time. I know that we're going to stand up for democracy, every single Democrat and a whole bunch of Republicans, actually. And I know that there's been understandable focus on this group for their own personal reasons. And I would put at the top of the list, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, who are planning their presidential runs in 2024. Despite that and the fact that people are not standing up to Donald Trump, you have significant number of Republican senators that are going to be joining us tomorrow. I have talked to them personally. Some of them have come out publicly like Mitt Romney and Ben Sass in a big way, but others of them are simply going to vote to stand up for democracy. So for me, despite all of the horror and the soul crunching objections these guys have raised because they're such bull, we know that there's going to be a number of people standing up for democracy. And I think that's really important. Donald Trump won't stop, but we're going to stop him. Since you are one of the people who's going to be in charge of actually how this thing proceeds, can you, in layman's terms, and as briefly as possible, walk us through how it actually is going to work, the procedure of it? Sure. And it's all set by a statute that was passed back in the 1800s. I will now go through each provision. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. So uh, how this works is Mike Pence, as you know, the vice president is presiding. He's not the decider. He's the presider. He sits up there in the House chamber. Senators come in. They don't all have to be there because of COVID. And we start receiving the ballots from each state. And then we, four of us, take turns, two Democrats, two Republicans, reading the result. Maybe when we get to Arizona, there'll be an objection. Uh, but to make the objection real, a senator and a House member have to do it in writing, joined together. If that happens, we go back to the Senate, 
We debate for two hours, only two hours. Then we have a vote about whether or not uh, we basically uphold the will of the voters in that state. Again, by all accounts, we're gonna win those in both houses. Then we reconvene back in the house chamber and we continue where we left off. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas would be next. Um, and we go through and with each state they object to, if there's two of them, we then go back and we have the two hour procedure start again to work to the end of the alphabet, Wyoming. Can I ask about that too, somebody from the House and somebody from the Senate? I remember from four years ago when certain Democratic House members objected to certain certifications and Joe Biden, who was then in what's now Mike Pence's role, he basically told him to sit down and shut up. Was he able to do that because there wasn't also a senator co-objecting? Exactly, Dan. That's what happened. And again, he wasn't actually, he was listening to the parliamentarian um, and he was making a ruling and that's fine. But ultimately, it's the law that controls. And Mike Pence knows this. But it can be helpful to have the vice president say, I'm sorry, you don't have a senator. We are moving on. And this kind of sounds crazy because these things don't usually happen. But what does practically happen? You, I assume, have seen President Trump's tweet today about Mike Pence telling him, you know, what he should do tomorrow. If Pence tries to do something tomorrow that you, for example, believe is not in keeping what he is allowed to do. What happens then? He says, yes, you can. You say, no, you can't. And then what? So what will happen if he does something like, say, some people think, uh, and I don't believe this, but let's just say he does what Trump wants. He somehow produces some alternative slate of electors. Then an objection will come from someone from the floor, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. House and Senate, same procedure applies. So then we go back to the Senate. They stay in the House. We debate for two hours. And again, we will uphold the will of the voters. There are a number of Republicans, as you know, who've been incredibly outspoken about this, just as outspoken as those that are objecting. We have a whole group of coup fighters, I call them, who are ready to go. I guess forget four years ago, but if you go back to the John Kerry, George W. Bush race before you were in the Senate, we did have a situation in which a Democratic senator and House member objected specifically in that case to the electors from Ohio. Republicans have obviously seized on that a bit and some other examples to say, you guys did this 16 years ago. There's no problem with us doing it now. What is, from your perspective, the difference between what Barbara Boxer and the House Democrat did in that race compared to what's happening here? There is a difference. And I do think it's hilarious that they've seized on these examples. There's two examples. One's from 1969 when uh, Edmund Muskie was involved, actually. And there was a major dispute about one elector who had said he'd support one candidate and supported another. And that led to a resounding defeat of the objection, but they went back to the chamber. The second is the one you mentioned, Barbara Boxer. It's over a issue in Ohio of voter suppression. She makes her case. You know what the vote was, Dan, and why this isn't relevant? 74 to one. She did one state and everyone defeated the effort. And that was the end of it. And so I think, you know, based on the fact that we've got 11 senators on a letter, we have over 100 House members, this is very different. And people have the right, it's set by law. But my argument here is that they are literally making up widespread fraud. They are saying it applies to a number of states, not just one. And they are literally, the president is trying to over, literally overcome the will of the people. I don't know if you've talked to any of the 11, but if you have, it is, as you say, one thing to raise the objection. It's another thing. Then you actually have to make a vote, which is a different thing. Do you believe that all 11 will indeed vote against certification in Arizona and Georgia, et cetera? 
you know, I do take them at their word in their letter. That's what they say. They say, unless they get this emergency 10 day audit, which by the way, could we see the hypocrisy of this? Because we had house members that were sworn in on Sunday from those same states uh, where there was no audit before they got sworn in. But because they said in their letter, these 11, that they want to have an audit or they will not support the electors from the state, I have to take them at their word. Now, it's possible that they just object to one or two states. It's possible that maybe a few of them will say, well, for this state, we think it's okay. For this state, we don't. I don't know that, but I have to take them at their word in the letter. And then you look at what Kelly Leffler has said, who's in her runoff race today in Georgia, um, where she's you know, made it clear she's coming back to do this. So there's a number of them who have pledged to the president instead of to the democracy. How long do you think this goes tomorrow from beginning to end? Well, that depends on how they're going to handle it, mostly in the Senate. I think we all know that the House members, and this has happened in the past, including I was there taking the votes and reporting them in 2016. And in the House, they did it a few times, but they weren't joined by a senator in 2016. This time, eventually the same thing could happen. I don't think the House is going to stop objecting those House Republicans. And those include, you know, which states, but it is Arizona, it's Georgia, it's uh, Michigan, it's Wisconsin and Nevada and Arizona. And maybe they'll add more. I don't know. So that's why the problem is how long will it take? It's not just the two hours of debate for each state. And the parliamentarians just ruled that if they have multiple objections to each state, which they could, it's still going to be all assumed in the two hours. So you have the two hours, but then the House is going to take over an hour to vote, maybe two hours. So I think you could expect each state to take for sure three to four hours. And so it could just keep going around the clock. Senator Blunt and I had a long discussion yesterday. We're friends um, about the fact that we will be could be up all night. You know, we've been talking about the presidential race or conclusion of the presidential race. Given what we've seen, secretary of state races in states aren't usually I mean, they're contentious between the individuals doing them, but the average voter doesn't really care all that much. They probably I'm a Democrat. I vote for the Democrat. I'm a Republican. I vote for the Republican normally. Do you believe that what we've seen over the last two months and particularly in Georgia kind of elevating the people kind of understanding the power of a secretary of state a little bit more? Are secretary of state races, particularly in swing states, about to become much more contentious, much more political and potentially much more problematic than in four years? when you guys have to certify the next president? Oh, what a great question. No one's asked me this before. I think you're going to see primaries for people. They stood up for the voting process, every one of them across the country. So I think you could see primaries, and that's what the president is trying to do to the Georgia Secretary of State, obviously, in addition to about 100 other bad things. But he's trying to get him primaried. And so I think you're going to see that. And then hopefully the People will, as you see with the number of the Republican senators from John Thune to Ben Sass to Mitt Romney to just yesterday, the two Republican senators from North Dakota, you will see, I hope that people could still stand up for the voters and win a primary. And then you could see almost the opposite effect in a general election because you could see people respecting the fact that people stood up. And then there's other issues always in elections. There. It's how people feel about the political party in charge. It is about how people feel about other things that this elected official has done. So I can't tell you across the board, but clearly in one party, the president's party, there's a major divide and people are on both sides. And of course, this always creates friction for elected officials in that party.
You mentioned speaking to Roy Blunt yesterday, who is your counterpart in this. He is not in that group of 11. I know he has referred to Joe Biden as the president-elect at one point uh, recently. He congratulated him. He congratulated him. Did he tell you, is he part of the uh, kind of the anti-11 group? You know, I'm going to let him answer that, but I think he's been very fair in how he has dealt with this process, as well as the inauguration, which is another thing that he and I are planning along with the House. And um, we done every step of the way from last summer on when we didn't know who's going to win. We've done that on a bipartisan basis. Thank you very much, Senator Amy Klobuchar. And I don't think I've ever said this to anybody before, but I guess uh, I'll be watching you tomorrow on C-SPAN. I think it will be a bit of a spectacle, but there are a number of people on both sides of the aisle who are going to stand tall for the will of the voters. Welcome back. What we're watching today are the runoff elections in Georgia, which will determine control of the U.S. Senate. So we want to get some on-the-ground insight from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's political reporter, Greg Bluestein, who we last talked to on November 4th, the day after the presidential elections, when Georgia's results were still in doubt. So, Greg, people have obviously been voting for weeks. Has anything from your perspective happened, say, in the past 24 hours that's going to have a tangible impact on the ultimate results? We're still locked in 2020. We still haven't got to the new year yet here in Georgia. And so much has happened in the last 24 hours. You've got the explosive tape. It was about more than 24 hours ago, but maybe 72 hours ago, between President Trump and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, where the president encouraged, demanded, cajoled, whatever you want to say, pressured Raffensperger to find enough votes for him to overturn Biden's victory in Georgia. And of course, you also have the president's visit Monday evening, where he continued to make false claims about the election results. And escalated his internal civil war with Republican leaders while also touting and promoting Leffler and Purdue. How do you think those things play? Do those things, do you think, have an impact and cause people either to not go vote or to actually switch who they were planning to vote for in Georgia? Yeah, that's the great question, because on its face, you'd think that the president saying go vote in a rigged election would discourage turnout. But some Republicans you know, might be energized by that, might say, okay, if the Democrats are trying to steal this, we might as well show up in greater numbers to make sure that our advantage is so big they can't. And there's also that that element of being loyal to the president, if the president's making a direct appeal. Should we expect, just like back in November, that we're not, if assuming this is close, that we're not going to really have certain results, not only not tonight, but maybe not until the weekend? Expect it to be a few days. And I'll put it this way. There's a reason Democrats aren't even holding a victory party tonight. They don't think they have anything to address tonight. So I'm going into tonight thinking that we won't have a result at least until tomorrow, um, but maybe Thursday, Friday. I hope it's not like that. But I will say that state officials, party leaders, the campaigns, they're gearing up for what many call a doomsday scenario, which is a repeat of what happened in November, but with an even grander scale with Senate on the line. Is there any reason to expect that it would go faster this time? First, there's a hope from both parties that the outcome is not a 12,000 vote margin. It's a bigger outcome, which means it's less stressful and less dramatic and all that. But secondly, county elections officials were now mandated to begin processing their ballots earlier before they could, they had the option to. Now there's a rule saying that they had to start processing last week. And what that means is not, they're actually not counting the results yet. They can't do that until polls close, but they start the preliminary stuff, verifying the voter signatures on the absentee ballots that hopefully can speed up the process. Greg Bluestein, thank you so much. And I hope uh, at least in a week from now, you, you get a little bit of vacation. And we're done. 
Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national whipped cream day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.